good to be with you this morning. This is the first time using a microphone like this, so if I'm doing anything wrong, just let me know, because I don't like to do things wrong. I want to invite you to open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 8. It's really good to be with you this, here with you this morning, uh, just rejoicing in the gospel, and as we start a new year and celebrate communion, and just uh, remember uh, that Jesus paid it all, uh, a verse that kept coming to my mind as we were singing and celebrating communion, Ephesians 1-7, in Him, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, and so... It is. It's so good to be with you and to celebrate that and to celebrate Christ and all that He has done uh, for us. Well, as, uh, as was mentioned, I'm here with my daughter, oldest daughter, Katie, my wife, Amy, and our other daughter, Anna, there at, at our church uh, this morning. So we divided and conquered this morning, but I've appreciated over the last few years getting a chance to get to know Joe a little bit and spend time with your pastor and Usually it seems like it revolves around food that we get together for a cheeseburger or pizza or something like that, and so you don't have to tell him I said that, but, uh, but uh, no, I've enjoyed his friendship, and we've been able to encourage one another and just share together, pray together, and um, that just that has meant a lot to me. The passage I want to share this morning with you is uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. And it really is it's close to my heart in many ways. As was mentioned, we, we are in a process of transition, and uh, we've completed a ministry at Calvary Bible for seven and a half years, and now we're, we're asking the Lord what, what's next. And we've been asking that for a little while now. And so this passage speaks to us about prayer and, and how the work of the Holy Spirit assists us when, when we feel stuck, when we feel like we're groaning, when we feel like... Life isn't working out the way that we wanted it to. And so I, I hope and I pray that, that you will be comforted through this passage. Actually, Romans chapter 8 was what I preached through the last few months that we were in Lakin. And we still live in Lakin, but the last few months that we were serving at Calvary, we just we immersed ourselves in the truths and the principles and the beauty of Romans chapter 8. There's so many good things there. We, we see the, the sovereignty of God. We see that He's a kind and gracious God. Um, we see that, that through His Spirit, God is empowering His people to do His will. Um, we see beautiful truths like this, that, that God, is, God is transforming us and changing us from the inside out through the work of His Spirit. Um, we see in Romans chapter 8, uh, verse 28, a passage that's well known to, to many, that, that God is able to take the not-so-good things that happen to us in our lives and use them for His good, and to use them for His glory. And so there are so many, so many things that, that ooze out of Romans chapter 8 that ought to bring us comfort in our lives in uh, this broken and fallen world in which we are living because the truth is, we're, we're real people, we're living in a real world, and sometimes it gets real crazy, right? It gets challenging. Um, am I the only one there? You know, some, you know it, life can be very challenging, and so Romans 8 is this anchor that we can go to where we can continue to remind ourselves, God is sovereign, God is good, God is working out His purposes, even when it doesn't feel like it. And so I trust that we'll just be encouraged and comfort, comforted through this passage. And so the difficulties that you may be facing, the trials, 
uh, whatever form that may be taking in your life, whatever you're encountering, that can either make you bitter or it can make you better. And just to clarify that, it's actually it's your response to whatever is happening, the hard things in your life, it's your response to that difficulty or that trial that will either make you a bitter Christian, a bitter person, or a better Christian, a better person. Well, let's read uh, Romans chapter 8. Let's go back to verse 18 and then read through verse 27 just to get a little bit of the context here. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So we will focus on just verses 26 and 27 uh, this, this morning. There's a beautiful paradox that's here in Romans chapter 8. And I just would encourage you to continue to, to go back to Romans 8 and uh, just to continue to immerse your mind in this. But there's a, a paradox, if you will, or, or a contrast that's going on in this passage. Um, there is the vic- victorious Christian life that we can experience through the resurrection power of Christ. There, there is a life in the Spirit where we can increasingly be more like Jesus because of God's grace. And yet Romans chapter 8 also paints for us a picture where we, we groan, we suffer. There's this contrast of, of glory that we await something in the future, a, a hope that we will be with Christ and we will be with Him and we will experience glory. And yet there's also this experience of suffering. And so these, these two realities are expressed in Romans chapter 8. And so we have comfort in the difficulties of life, knowing that we can experience suffering and trials and yet be expectant of the glory that will be revealed to us because of Jesus Christ. Now there's two bookends of Romans chapter 8, if you will, that help us just to remember uh, what we see in Romans 8. The first bookend... It tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, that there's no, what's, help me out, no condemnation. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So that's the first bookend of Romans chapter 8, no condemnation. And then the other bookend at the end of the chapter is that there's no separation. It tells us there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So if you're taking notes this morning, write that down, no condemnation and no separation. That, that helps us to think about the passage and 
The, the title for the message this morning is Hope and Prayer. If you want to take notes, a very simple outline is going to be four questions. Who, what, why, and how. Hope and Prayer, who, what, why, and how. And so I hope and pray that we will be uh, encouraged in our prayer lives, that we will have hope in prayer, not drudgery in prayer, not boredom in prayer, but we will have hope in prayer as we look at this, at this passage. Now, Charles Spurgeon, he was uh, often called the Prince of Preachers, and he said this about prayer. I think it helps, gets us going in the right direction this morning. Spurgeon said this, We should pray when we are in a praying mood, for it would be sinful to neglect so fair an opportunity. We should pray when we are not in a proper mood, for it would be dangerous to remain in so unhealthy a condition. And so that helps us to think about prayer and the need for us to, to discipline ourselves, to continue to seek God even when we don't feel like it, and when we have that inclination that we would take advantage of that opportunity. Now look with me at verse 26 again. The passage tells us, likewise, likewise the Spirit. And we see from this that, that Paul is referring back to other things that he's already said. The, the Holy Spirit is helping us in our Christian life, that we can live a life that pleases God. Likewise is saying that there are other things that the Holy Spirit is helping us to do, and that's part of what I've just summarized for you. For instance, the Holy Spirit is helping us as we suffer to still have a hope of glory, to still have hope of what God is doing for us. Likewise, the Spirit is, is doing something specifically to help us in our, our Christian life. So the first question this morning, as we look at the text, is, is who? Well, who's the subject? Who's the focus of, of the passage in Romans chapter 8? And we might assume right away that, well, well we're the subject, of course. We're, we're the focus. It's kind of like, have you ever heard of yearbook theology? You know, when you get your yearbook, you know, high school and college students... Uh, you get your yearbook, and, and, and what do you do a lot of times? You, you go back to the index, and you find your name, and you find uh, the pages that you're on, and you, you open the yearbook. Why? Because you don't know what you look like? It, no, no, that's not why. It's, it's because you, you kind of view yourself as being at the center of the story. But, but who, who is the focus of what's being said here, the subject? It's, it's the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, that is the subject of this sentence, that the Spirit is doing something to help us in our Christian life. Now, uh, for the sake of time, I'm not going to go back and, and go through all of this, but just, just briefly, just to give you a little, maybe something you could study on your own. If you go through Romans chapter 1 through 7, you know, if you remember with me, uh, in Romans, you're going to see that the wrath of God is being poured out on, on sinful man, that, that there's no way that we can please God except through a forgiveness of sins that we've celebrated this morning. You'll, you'll see that, that, that there's no way that we can be right with God without God intervening and coming and making a way for us through Christ. And you see all of these ideas being built in a, a beautiful way in Romans chapters 1 through 7, but... You'll notice if you study Romans 1 through 7 that there's only a couple times, I didn't go back and count exactly, but I think it's maybe twice, that there's an explicit reference to the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 1 through 7. 
There's this, this weightiness that we cannot please God up, apart from Christ. But now when we get to Romans chapter 8, you could go back and read it this afternoon, you will find, if you count, approximately 20 times that the Holy Spirit is explicitly mentioned in Romans chapter 8. What's that tell you? What's it tell me? That the, the work of the Holy Spirit is essential, it's instrumental in helping us live a life that pleases God here on this earth. So the victorious Christian life is based on this vibrant connection that you and I each need to have with the Spirit of God. So the first question this morning, who, the subject, the focus, the thrust of this, this particular passage is telling us we, we are benefiting from the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The second question is this, what? Well, what is it that the Holy Spirit's doing? Likewise, the Spirit helps us. The Spirit helps us. Now, turn with me to John chapter 14. And if you just want to listen along, that's fine. I'll, I'll, give, I'll give you the verses. But if you want to turn there, Scripture sometimes, it, it's so simple and so direct, a child can understand it, and yet it's so deep that you could for years and years go back and study and go deeper and deeper with it. And, and that's kind of the idea of this word helps, that the Spirit helps us. And we see that Jesus spoke of this about the coming Spirit when He was walking the earth with His disciples. That Jesus made a promise that one would come and would bring comfort and help to His disciples. John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse 16. Jesus says this to His disciples who, who were troubled because Jesus was going to be leaving them. John chapter 14, verse 16, And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. So, so right there in John chapter 14, verse 16, we're told Jesus promised a counselor, a helper, someone to come alongside and help us in our Christian life. And so what Paul says in Romans 8, verse 26, the Spirit helps us, lines up perfectly what, with what Jesus is saying about the role of the Holy Spirit. At the end of verse 17, what's it say? This, this helper will not just come and be around you, the, the helper will be in you. A great comfort to us. A go down further in chapter 14, in verse 26, again, this, this same word, the same basic idea but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things. He will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And so we receive the help of the Holy Spirit in, in remembering the truth of God that's been communicated to us. Chapter 15, verse 26. Scroll down a little bit further. Chapter 15, verse 26. But when the Helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about, about me. Again, the Helper is coming. And on and on it goes in chapter 16 of verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. And I, I just wanted to take us briefly to John that we would see that, that Romans 8, when it tells us likewise, the Spirit helps us 
it lines up perfectly with what Jesus is teaching us in John chapter 14 and following about the work of the Spirit. Now just for a moment, consider with me and, and, and reflect on your life about a specific time in which you were involved in a project, you were struggling with something, you, know, you fill in the blank, you think about what that was for you, and someone came alongside you, someone who was willing to get dirty, someone who had wisdom, who had expertise, who cared enough to get involved. That's the picture that we have of the Holy Spirit coming alongside us to help us. We oftentimes, we may have people who come alongside of us who they're the experts and they're really not willing to get their hands dirty and they're just there to critique. We've experienced that, but the Holy Spirit comes alongside us to help us. And I know that's what I need in my walk with Christ. I need help in so many different ways. So there's great comfort in this, this passage because it tells us that, that we do not have to do it alone. The struggles that we're facing in life, in relationships, in our finances, in our work, whatever it might be, in our, in our education, we don't have to do it alone. We do need to trust Him, but we can, we can count on Him to come alongside us and help us. Well, let's look at a third question in the text then. Who, the Spirit of God, what helps us? Why? Let's look at the text again, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. Now, back in August, I was able to go to a, a church planters conference down in Mississippi. And one of the speakers was uh, Russell Moore, and maybe you've heard that name before, but he's a, a professor at Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, where we, we lived in Louisville for seven years. And Russell Moore, one of the speakers, was telling a story about how his father lives in the Deep South. Um, when Hurricane Katrina hit, uh, it was three weeks before they could have any communication with with, that he could have any communication with his father to know if his father was okay. And you just imagine what that would be like to be kind of waiting, waiting for some kind of communication about what exactly is going on. Well, uh, when I was down in Mississippi for the church planting conference, it was around the time of uh, another hurricane. Uh, I think it was Hurricane Isaac. And um, Russell Moore was on the phone talking to his dad and just encouraging his dad, Dad, you need to seek shelter. You need to take action. You know, remember what happened last time. You need to, you need to have a backup plan. You need someplace to go. And uh, his father responded like this. He said, there's only two kinds of people who leave when the storm is coming, Yankees and sissies. <laughs> And so needless to say, I don't think he was very motivated to, uh, to go find another place to go. And, and as strange as it may sound, that, that illustrates, in a sense, uh, this passage. There's only one kind of Christian who's getting help from God, and that's weak Christians. It's the person who, who is recognizing their weakness in the midst of the difficulties, the difficulties that they're facing. So we are weak, frail sinners desperately in need of the grace of God. And so 
if you've come here this morning to have your self-esteem built up, you know, I apologize, maybe I'm not doing that for you, but that, that gives us the biblical perspective of who we are. We are in desperate need of the grace of God. There's only one kind of Christian who's getting help from God. It's those who are weak. And that comforts me because when I look in the mirror and when I see a lot of the plans I've had for my life, I see more weakness than I see success. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our, our weakness. So how weak did you feel this week? <laughs> how weak did you feel? Did you feel your weakness this week? Did you sense your need? Have you considered, have I considered, have we considered the depth, the depth of our weakness was met with an overflow of God's Spirit? That's what this passage is telling us. Now, now look again at verse 26, and, and let's notice what is the specific weakness? What specifically is our weakness that's communicated? The Spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. That's the specific weakness, that we don't have the specific knowledge that we need. Notice the lack is not... The issue is not that we're not sincere enough. Sometimes we can become defeated in our prayer lives because we, we feel as if, well, maybe I'm not sincere enough. But that's not, that's not the point of this passage. God wants us to be sincere in our prayer life. I'm not saying otherwise. It's not a lack of faith, though God wants us to be filled up with faith when we go to Him and we ask Him for things that we expect God to move into that's not the weakness that's here. Though God does want us to be disciplining ourselves as we trust Him. The weakness is that we do not know what to pray for as we ought. We don't know specifically the will of God in the difficult situations that we may be facing. Tom Schreiner, a commentator, wrote about this passage. He says this, The weakness of believers in prayer therefore, is that they do not have an adequate grasp of what God's will is when we pray. The weakness of believers in prayer, therefore, is that they do not have an adequate grasp of what God's will is when they pray. So thankfully, as we stand here today, 2,000 years after the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, we stand here with the Scriptures, the will of God, 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament. We have the Word of God. We have the will of God. So thankful for that. And we can count on that, and we can take this book, and we can pray according to the will of God. But there are many situations in our lives that we're not told, well, should we take this job in Wisconsin? Or should we buy this car? Or should we marry this person? And it's in that lack of knowledge that the Spirit comes and helps us as we rely upon the Lord. Well, the Scriptures tell us in Isaiah 55 that God says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so in our weakness, we can, we can rest in knowing that God's ways are higher than our ways, 
and that he is working things out for our good even when we cannot see it. Let's move on now to the fourth question. Who, God's Spirit, what helps us? Why? Because of our weakness, we don't know exactly how to pray. Well, how? How does the Holy Spirit help us? The Holy Spirit helps us through, through deep intercession, intercession. Deep intercession according to the will of God. Look with me again at the end of verse 26. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He goes on to explain it even further in verse 27. But verse 26, the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. That's how the Spirit comes and helps us. Now, the title to this message is, is Hope in Prayer, not a Hope in a Prayer. Uh, you know, sometimes that's how we, we live. Uh, we just kind of throw things, throw things up here and there. But the, 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 the title of this message is Hope in Prayer. It's, it's a biblical hope that's confident in the promises of God and that God will work for His glory and for my good. Sometimes we use the word hope as the world uses the word hope. We say, well, I hope I can take a vacation, or I hope I can buy this new car, or I hope I can go to this college. And, and there's no certainty in that. It's just simply wishful. But this passage is telling us we can have hope in prayer. We can have an expectation that God will be working in our lives, in our churches, in our families, in our marriages. Because the Spirit comes and intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. What does this mean? The Holy Spirit assists us in our prayer life. It's like a guard on a basketball team making that perfect pass. The Holy Spirit comes and assists us and helps us. Do you have that person in your life that can finish your sentences for you? You know, they almost seem to know your thoughts and you start to say something, you start to complete something, and they're able to jump in and finish the sentence. Isn't that just a small, tiny, imperfect illustration of what the Holy Spirit does for us? Well, look with me ahead a few verses in verse 34. Because this, this same idea comes up again. Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Who is to condemn... Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Same idea mentioned again. The Holy Spirit goes before the Father on our behalf. And that should bring great comfort to us. Well, once again, I want you to, to note this contrast or a paradox that's going on in this passage there's this contrast of groaning um go back with me and and note uh in verse 22 we read it a little bit ago for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth go down a little bit further and you see um also in verse 23 and not only the creation, not only is the creation groaning, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we're groaning as well. We're yearning for something. We're, we're in some 
some form of agony as we wait for God to complete His, His kingdom purposes. There's this idea of groaning. And then in verse 26, the, the passage that's before us this morning, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, comes and helps us. We're groaning. It's too deep for words. And so we see that the Spirit is there to assist us through groaning. Now, now think back on your week and think about some of the difficulties that you may have faced. Think about some of the burdens maybe that you went through, the trials that you experienced. And think about some of the things you groaned about. All of us can get caught into that uh, attitude of, of complaining. It's not something that pleases God. God wants us to have thankful hearts. But we can, we can get caught in the rut of complaining and, and bitterness and just feeding our minds and our hearts on those kinds of things. And we, we can groan about a lot of things, right? We can groan when, when our team gets eliminated from the playoffs, that's kind of a raw nerve these days. Um, I was groaning last Sunday night when I, I shouldn't even admit this, I don't think, but uh, I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan, sorry. Oh, <laughs> I knew I shouldn't have said that. But I was groaning last Sunday night as they you know, almost had a chance to get back in the game and they, they blew it. You were probably groaning when the Bears were eliminated. We groan about these kinds of things. We, we groan in a sense when, when we put in our order and the waiter brings the order and we said no mushrooms and there's mushrooms everywhere, right? We, we groan. And, and there are all of these things that you and I know we, we get perturbed about, we get frustrated about. God, why me? But I want to put before you this morning that I, I believe that the kind of things that we ought to be groaning about, that the Spirit wants to come and help us according to the will of God. There, there are kingdom things that we should be groaning about, brothers and sisters, friends. We should be groaning. We should be groaning that the nations have not been reached with the gospel. We should be, re, we should be groaning that our neighbors, my neighbors, have not been reached. Your classmates. We should be groaning that our worship could be so much more from our hearts. We should be groaning that there are, are people who are lonely. There are, there are those who are widowed. Those who are orphans, who are lonely, and who are not being cared for. Brothers and sisters, I bring this to myself and I bring it to you. There are kingdom things that we should be groaning about. And the Holy Spirit is helping us to yearn for these things that God wants to accomplish through His people. And the Spirit is coming to help us to do this. I pray that that longing is being expressed um, in your heart. Well, let's read now verse 27 as Paul takes all of this now and then he, he elaborates a little bit more on it through the, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul writes, verse 27, And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according 
to the will of God. Again, uh, Scripture can be so simple that we can get this basic outline, who, the Spirit, God's Spirit, what helps us, why, because of our weakness, um, how, groaning, deep intercession, according to the will of God. We've got that basic template, but we can go back and we can go into this deeper and deeper and ask God to take us deeper in what this passage is telling us. And so we see that there's so much truth here, and yet I just want to draw out a few more things and then we'll bring, bring this to a close in just a few moments. Again, that, uh, that commentator I mentioned before, Thomas Schreiner, he writes this of this specific verse. God searches the hearts of believers and finds unutterable longings to conform their lives to the will of God. God searches the hearts of, of you and I this morning, those of us who are in Christ, those who of us who have trusted in Christ, His death, His resurrection from the dead, if we've trusted in Him and His payment for our sin, that we are in Christ, and the Spirit of God is searching our hearts and, and finding in the depths of our hearts desires to conform our lives to the will of God. And the Spirit is interceding for us so that we might, in a further way, honor and please God with our lives. Well, let's think about some thoughts of application now and and in what this passage says for us in 2013. Are you the kind of person that makes New Year's resolutions? You know, I don't know, let's see some hands. You, do you make New Year's resolutions? Okay, a few, a few of us in here. Um, I'm, not, I'm not great at these, uh, not usually very good at, at keeping them. Um, but, but as we look at 2013, as we look at a new year, and as we look at this passage today, I, I pray and I trust that you'll be, you'll be stirred up to say, you know, Lord, I want to go deeper in my prayer life. I, I've become, I've, Lord, I've become stale in my prayer life. My, my words have become, my heart's cold and my, my words have become monotonous. And God, I want to ask that in 2013 you would help me to seek you, that you would help me to grow in my prayer life. I pray that that would be a resolution that we would have. Well, one thought of application from this passage this morning is this, that we, we get to pray. We don't have to pray. You, you know the difference? It's not that we have to pray. It's that we get to pray. That, that we get to draw near to God. That we get to call out to our Father in heaven and spend time with Him. We get to pray. It's not that we have to pray. We get to pray. Another thought of application is, is this, that Maybe it's the $100,000 question, if you will. Based upon this passage then, does God want His children to be articulate in prayer? Would this passage in any way just lead us to being lazy in our prayer life and say, well, you know, the Holy Spirit's there to help me and He's praying in a deeper way than I can, so, you know, God forbid, that wouldn't be the, the way that we would take this. Does God want His children to be articulate in prayer? Yes, we should be specific. We should be personal. We should be clear in what we're asking God to do, but we should not trust in our articulate words. We should trust in the person of God. The Psalms give us some 
insight and direction for our prayer lives as we apply this. Prayer is so much more than just asking God for stuff. Prayer is meeting with God and and leaning upon Him and spending time with Him, becoming more like Him as we commune with Him. The psalmist, Psalm 25, tells us this, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Not just, God, you're someone that I'm asking things from, but God, I'm bringing my soul and I'm lifting it up to you. So maybe it's the circumstances that you've become focused on. It's the car repair that you can't afford It's maybe the relational strain that you can't seem to bring healing to. It's the frustrating job that that is just not bringing you joy and satisfaction. The medical issues that you can't get a handle on. And we become so confined in our prayer lives asking God to do specific things and work in specific circumstances. And perhaps God is calling you back to something deeper. That you would say, "To, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. I'm not asking you, God, to be the genie in the bottle or the divine butler who I say jump and God jumps. God, I'm bringing my soul and my needs and my hurts and my groanings and my suffering to you and asking you to work. Well, maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, um, I, don't, I don't know what he's talking about. I hope there's not a lot of people saying that this morning. But maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, I, I don't know what he's talking about. I don't, I don't understand this relationship with Father in heaven. A God that I can trust. A God who is faithful. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're wrestling with that. And if so, I would just encourage the honesty that you are experiencing in your own heart that you would admit that. I know there are are men and women here that would love to talk with you, that you would seek someone out today. If you don't know what that's like to have a, a Father in Heaven that you can cry out to, pray that before you leave today, you would talk to me, you would talk, more importantly, to somebody here in the church that you know. Because I believe that there are There are always people in the church, and we all can fall into this rut, there are always people in the church who are still trying to relate to God through moral conformity, through behavior modification. Well, God, if I I only get my life a little better, if I only do better, if I only... And you remember what Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden? Remember when they sinned? Remember what they did to cover themselves? They made fig leaves. And all over the world today, and and even, I'm sure, in this room, there are those who are still trying to cover their shame and their sin with fig leaves. Trying to come up with man-made ways to cover their guilt and their shame. And I have just wonderful, beautiful news news for you. The great great news of of salvation, that, that Christ, Jesus Christ, God's only Son, came to this earth. He suffered an excruciating death on a cross. He was the King of kings and Lord of lords, and yet He willingly went to the cross. And that you can be forgiven. You can be cleansed of your sin. You have no need to to put on those fig leaves to try to cover your brokenness and your shame. But Christ will, will strip that away and in exchange give you His righteousness. 
And then you, by faith, can have a Father that you can cry out to. So it's not about trying to be a better person. Certainly God cares about our morals, cares about how we live, but that's not how we get to God. It's through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and all that He has done. And Jesus said in John 17, verse 3, now this is eternal life. He's saying, praying this to the Father. Now this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So 2013 can be a year for us if we're in Christ that we, we can grow in prayer as the Spirit assists us and helps us. Why? Just so we can get things from God? No, that we can know Him, that we can love Him, and that we can obey Him. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we, we ask that you would teach us to pray. Teach us to be people of prayer. Help us have, to have hope in prayer, God, not because of our articulate words, um, not because of even our discipline, God, but help us to have hope in prayer because of Jesus Christ and his victory over sin hell, and the curse. And help us to receive the help of your Holy Spirit. Lord, that we might please you with our lives. And I pray for Chile Bible Church, God, that you would just fill them with your grace, transform them with the love of Christ, that they would love one another, that they would reach out and love this community as well. We pray this in the powerful, risen name of Jesus. All God's people said,